Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. And welcome to the Best Damn Camp, a Royal Reverse read-along and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I'm your friendly neighbourhood lesbian author and host, Fran. Welcome to the show. Today I am joined by a very special guest who is fellow author Megan from the Monstrous Women podcast. Megan! <laughs> Hello, thank you for having me back. <laughs> of course. It's chaos incarnate. It's the best way to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's basically all of our episodes. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I'm as uh, harsh. I don't know if that's the best way that's to the it, right but term. I feel like I'm just as harsh. And so we have a good time ripping everything apart. <laughs> yeah. I think some of the best guests that I've had have ended up being you and Katie from Dan Snack Bar because... <laughs> We just don't let shit go. <laughs> no. say it. It's like, no, no, you ain't getting away with that. We are we are pulling you up on it and we're telling you what it what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for anyone who may have not heard the previous episodes that you've been on, I'll let the peoples know um who you are and the stuff that you do. Yes, my brilliant friend Quinn and I host the Monstrous Woman podcast. So we come up with an episode every other week and we basically do different series where we talk about women's representation. So we've done fairy tales and Greek myths um, and now we're doing superheroes. So we're going to have an episode about Wonder Woman that'll be have just come out. Very cool, very cool. Um, and of course, all that will be linked in the episode show notes down below. So if you want to check out that podcast as well as megan's author website that will be linked down below to check out their stuffs but today we are continuing the timeline journey with the mark of athena section entitled saving nico and yes i did come up with it because i was like i like i like the phrase because it's like that's what this section is that's all it has to be it's a very concise title um i don't actually remember i I did have a reference to it, but I don't remember why I called it Saving Nico, but that's where we are. I just wanted to put it out because I thought it was a very cool name. Um, <laughs> which uh, The whole section is from Percy's POV, and it is from pages 500 to 538. Yes, this book is long. <laughs> All these books are too long. Nick, I nearly said Nick. Rick! <laughs> Rick, what is wrong with you? Stop making them so long. Uh, Yes, so that's what we've got. (laughs) Yeah. So as always, we've our points to focus on. So today we've got characters, fight scenes, and generally what we thought of it. Because me and Megan talk a lot, we're not going to cover the (laughs) overview for this section because we're probably going to cover it anyway with our different uh, 
sections of, of ranting because again this is the podcast of the most hated podcast host and uh that's what we do we rant about everything so <laughs> this is that is the goal of the best damn camp is to rant about everything so we're not going to do an overview because we've got a lot to say so um <laughs> let's get in first to kind of basically just the general feedback for this section i didn't write any of my notes but i remember everything i wanted to say for this so megan do you want to go first and then i'll like chime in sure um I do enjoy I do enjoy this section because I feel like the seven are finally becoming friends and I feel like Mm. we look back on the heroes of Olympus and we're like oh this tight-knit group of heroes who saved the world together but they're like actively infighting for most of the series so it's kind of strange and I'm not really sure exactly why Rick wrote them that way but in this section it's a lot of like hey you're all right or like we work better as a team um I do kind of think Rick just does that as build up to make what happens next more traumatic I don't know that he's necessarily actually focused on character development I think he's just doing that thing that media does where it's like I don't know if you've been paying enough attention to this side character but we're about to kill them off so we need you to remember why you love them and why they're important um So I did like that. I will say for this to be the storyline that's supposed to be about saving Nico's life, Nico is in it very little (laughs) and has like relatively little page time. And so that to me feels weird. It's like no matter what we do, it's like Percy and Jason are always going to get the most page time. Yeah, that's something I noticed a lot and it did frustrate me because like I I think I put it in my notes for the later sections as well to do like the fight scene stuff. But I was like for most of this section, I was like, what happened to Piper and Nico? They do just randomly disappear for large sections. Yeah. <laughs> like, there are multiple pages where I'm like, wait, so where are Piper and Nico? Like, where are they right now? What's what's occurring? What's happening yeah. here? Um, and yeah, so it's just got, yeah, it definitely does focus in on Percy and Jason a little bit. And it definitely, it's these sections where I'm like, I half get what people were talking about. It was like, oh yeah, the bros, Percy and Jason. And I'm like, not really, but like this one section, I'm kind of like, I guess, because they're working together It's so upsetting. It's so upsetting. This is the friendship I least want developed out of the entire series. Yeah. I'd make, you know what friendship worked best, what what would work best, but for some reason Rick decided against it in this book, is Annabeth and Jason. They're the only ones who make sense as friends. But, like, he opens it up with Annabeth basically being like, I don't trust this man. I do not trust him. I do not like him. Um, And so we're not going to make a friendship. And I'm just kind of like, but your friendship makes more sense. Like, him and Percy being friends makes no logical sense. Like, at all to me. It's very much just like they're the two white boys and so they're the two that are potential leaders. You know, like it is weird to add a ton of diversity to your series and then be like, okay, but clearly the two white men are like the only one in contest to be the leader. When Annabeth is like clearly the smartest, has, well, her and Jason both have a lot of experience, but like Annabeth is Camp Half-Blood's leader and Jason is Camp Jupiter's leader. So it makes perfect sense for these two like very logical sound people to be sort of having some tension when they come together of like who's Mm. gonna take over and having to learn to co-lead and stuff so it feels so odd to me that like our ADHD flunked out of six schools former delinquent Percy is like being 
like set up as the camp's captain when like he only spends summers at camp half-blood he's way newer to everything as annabeth he constantly says that annabeth is smarter and that she's the one who comes up with the plans but then it's like oh my bro jason and i gotta battle it out for who's on top of this little group yeah yeah and this kind of there's there's a section specifically that i will talk about when we get to the character section where in more detail at least where Percy mentions that both he and Jason are carrying the weight of responsibility on their shoulders. And I'm like, Jason, <laughs> sure. But, like, Jason at least half makes sense, because this guy was Praetor, yeah. like, he has the responsibility of, like, representing the camp. He was in charge of a bunch of people, and he probably feels responsible for certain things, because in comparison to, like, Piper and Leo, for example, he he's basically, he is, like, what you said, he is the Annabeth of Camp Jupiter, because he's been around... Yeah in the Roman demigod world since he was two. Like, the guy's been through it. He knows a lot of stuff. But the book forgets he knows a lot of stuff. And then, like, (laughs) he just... It's just really strange. Like, Jason, it makes sense. Percy, not really, because he's just kind of putting it on himself when he had an entire book series to learn that he doesn't have to be in charge. And then suddenly again in this section... He's learning that he doesn't always have to be in charge and he can work with other people. I'm like, bitch, you had an entire series to learn this. Why are you learning it again? <laughs> like, not even a year later having to learn the same thing. I think, too, like, Percy's very good at the camp counselor thing. Percy's very good at connecting with people. Percy's very good at, like, get, helping people build up self-esteem. Percy's a good fighter. Um, and that gets conflated with being like the strategic leader, which has never mm. been one of his skill sets. And like in Son of Neptune, it's not that he was like single handedly making all the plans. It's not that he was the smartest one there. It's that he had the most confidence and he is, is good at like instilling that and sharing that with other people. Yeah. And then that that works so well him and that group worked so well but then when you take it in the seven where there are people who have more traditional leadership skills and actually want those kinds of positions and responsibilities it's weird to like shove him into that position and be like no no but obviously percy has to be the leader yeah and honestly that does kind of happen a lot in son of neptune as well like it's not as balanced as i would like it to be but like i did a whole thing about that and I've got a video on YouTube for that now as well for anyone who wants to check out my YouTube channel where I do a rewriting of Son of Neptune um (laughs) but like yeah this section just kind of does inflate the whole problem that I have um I think like the only thing that I continue to question I suppose is the way to to describe it is just the just the lack of involvement of other people like I, I just really don't get why Piper... I know Nico to a degree because he's so drained. Like, he had, like, basically less than four hours until he died. So it yeah. makes sense. But, like, show Piper well, he protecting fight. him. Yeah, why he wouldn't fight. But show Piper protecting him. Show Piper fighting back to keep this kid safe. And, like, show those sections. Like, stop making it all about Percy and Jason. It's like, like what you said. Yeah. Like, they are conflated to be the main guys. When they don't, Jason again, it does make sense for Jason, but for Percy, it really doesn't make sense beyond the fact that he had his own series. It makes sense for Jason plot wise, but then like character wise, Jason is like nobody likes Jason. So then it's like annoying in that way. And then most people like Percy, and Percy can be a very likable character, but then plot wise, so it's like 
either way. And even yeah. even with Nico not being able to fight, I just felt frustrated that there's like barely any conversation about his recovery. There's barely any conversation about actually rescuing him. Like it all turns into just being a fight scene with the giants. And I thought yeah. it, like Hazel's the only one who like does anything to nurse him back to health. And then nobody like goes and asks him what was going on or how he got involved. It's like Hazel being like, hey guys, Nico has this insanely important thing to tell everybody. Yeah, which he's clearly already told her before because she was like when he couldn't speak she finished what he needed to say. So they clearly had already had a conversation. Yeah. So yeah, she was basically the only... Hazel is literally the only good egg. <laughs> She's such She's an a good angel. Egg. She, truly. Um, and like it kind of also makes sense considering the amount of trauma that she's went through in her life that she recognises trauma in others and like seeks out to help them and comfort them and stuff like that. Like, she's been through a lot. Um, yeah. But it's just, yeah, it was really weird. I'm just like, why is no one asking this child what is little baby boy yeah i mean it's just it made no sense and um, i mean even even the the fight with the giants oh my god it pissed me off so much (laughs) that whole scene where buckus appears and he's like ah just prove your worth and then made things worse Mm -hmm. for no reason (laughs) like it was to elongate the fight scene. Look, I love a good fight scene, but that was dumb. What was the reason? <laughs> They've shown their worth. They've been fighting them beforehand. He's like, ah, show me more. I'm like, you're, you're a prick. <laughs> like, you're a prick. What was the reason? Yeah, Barker sucks. Um, yeah. Oh, God. I did think it was interesting that inner monologue it sparked in Percy because he was talking, like, not talking about, but thinking about how the gods really do treat them as pawns like whether or not they're worthy of assistance even though they're sort of fighting the gods were already is like comes down to entertainment value and it's yeah i think it just must be so interesting as a teenager to be fighting like this and then also be like my enemy has a point like i see where he's coming from and having to balance that internal debate because you're giving up a lot for this cause and like you already know that it's an imperfect system that you're trying to uphold yeah i think that's the that that's kind of like the the nail on the head situation for me of like why i have the issue because again we had an entire book series dedicated to exploring that problem and like the giants cause makes no sense because they are the bad people like there is no they want the end of society Whereas Luke mm-hmm. had reasons that made sense. Like, Luke was not wrong. His execution was. Yeah. Whereas the Giants and are Luke was like objectively. a manipulated kid. Yeah, he was a manipulated kid who was right about the gods, who was right about the situation, who was right about the way in which they are treated. Like, literally the only things that he was wrong about was joining the Titans. That was the only thing that he did wrong, really. Right. Whereas For the sure. Giants are objectively wrong. So for some reason to then make Bacchus even more of a dickhead to kind of make the demigods angry at him and question whether or not to help doesn't make sense because of course they're going to help because if they don't, the world ends. Like Right. Whereas in the case of like the Luke situation in the previous series, the question of whether or not to join him makes sense because Luke isn't wrong. 
just the reason yeah. like the, it's like the way he's which doing it is. society which flawed society is going to be worse yeah and in the case of the giants there won't be a society because everyone's dead <laughs> yeah whereas so like the justification for Bacchus being a bastard just really doesn't work it was just like a it just felt like a reason to extend the scene like that's all it felt like the moment he appeared because I've forgotten that he had this whole thing of like pulling up to the Colosseum and have it be a huge performance I did too I was very surprised when it happened and I was like what the fuck I thought he just turned up and helped because that was the thing that was the reason why the gods were there because the giants need to die why do the dead like if they don't die you're dead why are you making it difficult for the demigods who are trying to stop your impending death? Like, the logic was just not there at all. I was getting so pissed off reading it. I'm like, this makes no logical sense story-wise or character-wise or narrative-wise. It just... It, I just read it. I was just like, Rick had a page count and he needed to reach it. <laughs> That's what how it yeah. read to me because it just the logic behind it just made no sense to me at all. But I want to know what you think about that, like, as a whole for that scene. I did. I do agree. It definitely felt like the fight scene was ending or had a trajectory and then it sort of got upended and restarted. I also, I really disliked that that is when it sort of formalized that Percy and Jason are the ones that matter and Percy and Jason are in this fight because they literally pick up Piper and Nico and put them in like a box to watch instead of participate. Um, and one that feels like strange to me because I understand that Nico's injured, but then part of the fight should involve having to protect him and like compensating for that. It feels weird that he would just be removed. And then I don't understand why Piper was removed because she gets a shoulder injury, but how many times has, you know, Percy fought with an injury? Like that's part of it. Mm. Um, so that annoyed me. I do feel like it's in character with the gods to be like, you have to do A, B, and C for me to care about you, even though I'm forcing you to fight on my behalf. But I do feel like Bacchus had already sort of done that because they have the whole plot of like needing to give him the, what what does he drink? It's like, oh, so it's, it like he Diet drinks Coke? Pepsi. So it's Diet oh, Coke is for Dionysus Pepsi. and Pepsi is for Bacchus. And they had the whole thing right. with the golden boy. Um, which was like eight episodes now at this point for the podcast. Um, yeah. Where they fought the Golden Boy and then they sunk a ship with a bunch of treasures on and a bunch of Diet Coke and gave it to Dionysus in tribute, basically, um, because they defeated his old enemy, basically. Um, yeah. So it's why it made even less sense where he turned up after they'd been fighting the Giants so well. Because like I'm just thinking like in comparison to... The uh, scene with Jason defeating the giant on Mount Diablo, where like he comes crashing down, and then Zeus shoots a lightning bolt that comes with Jason into the giant and kills him. Like the moment he appeared in my head, I was like, "Oh yes," because they're gonna now all strike the blow together. Yeah, that also makes so much more sense because Dionysus was that demigod who had to fight the giants when he was still a demigod. Yeah. So he would have been waiting for a god to help him do that so they could take a giant out. So I don't get why he made the demigods wait when he went through the exact same thing. Yeah. I Another thing I forgot is that the giants all have locked hair. Like, and oh my god. Like, I, oh my god. It's so frustrating every time I remember this that 
they have a traditionally black hairstyle. Yeah. No, same with the Cyclopses as well. Cyclops. Yeah, and like the, the evil ones, though the evil Cyclopses. Right, have and lots. it just should be so obvious not to equate traits of blackness to bad guys, but somehow we struggle through that in media constantly still. And like yeah. they take time to like describe their locked hair, and I was like, excuse me, like you can't when you give your only characters of color still like. Um, Eurocentric features like Hazel's not allowed to have her natural hair color Hazel has like gold like somehow she's like still blonde um, so like you do that and then you do the- it's just frustrating yeah the whole yeah lots of questionable stuff here and also <laughs> there's some like toxic masculinity stuff going on here but I don't remember which yes. it was but the ballet dress yeah like, no it's like ho- it's like homophobic for sure yeah it's like oh my god, I don't even want to look at these men. And, like, they're not men, they're giants. But, like, you know, they're supposed to be, like, masculine. I don't want to look at these, like, masculine figures in ballet uniforms. That's so embarrassing for them. Yeah. But then they're making fun of the guy for wearing it because he he mm-hmm. wants to wear it. And then the comment about how he clearly looks like, like, he begrudgingly picks up his spear and how he looks like he'd rather be at Swan Lake than here. And, like... The, like the derision in which like I it could be how I'm reading it admittedly but like the no, way it's it definitely shit queer comes coding off. villains yeah it's definitely queer coding villains for sure and not even like, like necessarily queer coding but just like because well there like, are male um, ballet dancers <laughs> like yeah but those are people who are in real life made fun of for participating in femininity true 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 and so it's like it, I mean, Disney does it with all their villains, right? Like, they don't, their yeah. villains don't perform masculinity correctly or they don't perform femininity correctly. And so that's supposed to be, give this, like, overcurrent of queerness that's supposed to indicate that they're bad. Yeah, and just the whole thing is just... But yeah, I was reading that and I was just like, but there's no problem with it. Like, I know it's very 2010s, which is It's just funny for Greece too. <laughs> or yeah. you know like it's funny that like at a time where like men were cross-dressing to perform theater and the arts you know like I also think that it like Europe has a slightly different view on this than the Americas because in America the arts are feminized like really severely mm. like you would get like made fun of and stuff like if if you were a high school boy who like openly liked poetry openly liked theater like anything like that you were called like slurs. You were like bu- like bullied based in homophobia. Yeah. Um, and there's a real culture of toxic masculinity, and I know that that's prevalent in other places as well for sure. But America has this like hyper hyper masculine like blue collar working mm. thing that I think probably reads as so odd to readers in like Europe and places where like. Like, even in Legally Blonde, the musical, this is such a random reference, but there's a song, it's removed from some of the um, Oh, yeah, it's the gay European. Yeah, because in America, like, just being slightly effeminate in, like, any way, in, in even what you deem is, like, dressing nicely <laughs> or, like, yeah. being competent about the arts. Um, yeah. It's just strange. <laughs> yeah. And I was saying, like, we definitely have, like, a not the best look at like a, a lot of people who are in the arts are you know looked down upon to a degree but I don't think it's the same level of like that toxic masculinity of like if you're into the arts you're gay or something like that which like definitely did happen here but I don't know if it happened to the same 
degree. Yeah. And like it wasn't looked down upon as much. Like I'm just thinking about how um Judy Garland, for example, like she came to the UK a lot and mixed with the theatre community here who were almost like openly queer and, you know, very just, you know, very supportive people and stuff like that. And while it was still leaned into the stereotype of like people in theatre are predominantly queer, which admittedly, to a degree, somewhat yes, because you know, <laughs> flocks of a feather no, what was it? Yeah. Line, lines of a feather flock together. Birds of a feather flock That's together. That's it. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. I was like, it's something feathers and flocking. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It was like a safe space. So, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. people gravitated there. Yeah. But it is, it's like a weird chicken or the egg thing a bit. But yeah. even like, like in England, when I visited, like, like straight men would call me like, um, just like, nicknames or like terms of endearment like just in Mm. passing or in conversation that doesn't happen in the states like you wouldn't hear like a man call somebody like love yeah that would be like you're being gay yeah honestly yeah that's the thing like everyone here has a term of endearment like I call everyone mate even if I don't know you I will refer to you as mate like that that's just the kind of like a how yeah. thing. It's definitely it's definitely more of a northern UK thing, but like it does happen a lot in southern UK as well. But like in the state yeah. in the south people are friendly, but it's like I don't know, it's more like a respect thing. Like you'll call like somebody like ma'am or sir. Yeah. Which is like Whereas it's more like a conversational thing here of like Yeah. If you and talk it's meant to, to be like train. Even like drinking tea is like effeminate in the United States. Oh like, my I god! To, I swear to God, like like nobody like no like if you go to a tea room or something here, which they're not that yeah. common, but it's like a women's thing to like do that. That also does not surprise because like the high tea <laughs> sort of like debutante society stuff. Yeah, okay, that actually makes yeah. sense. <laughs> Whereas like I'm just thinking like I was at a boba tea place yesterday actually and while obviously it was almost predominantly female there were like a lot of male presenting people there as well like it wasn't just all like women or women presenting it was like very diverse in terms of gender but like yeah and like boba tea is definitely seen as more like as from what I've heard in the US as well like I don't know any guys who drink boba tea of the all the Americans that I no no I don't either not that I'm friends with a lot of men admittedly but I don't (laughs) I don't know any straight men who drink boba tea I don't know any straight men that get like fancy like coffee drinks or anything they're like I drink black coffee because I hate myself (laughs) yeah I don't know it's just it's it's an interesting thing to see like the depictions of what would be classed as a feminine thing a feminine sport because ballet is a sport um it yeah. may also be an art form, but it is also a sport because you have to, you have to be, be an fit athlete. and in shape. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. If you're not athletic, if you're not fit, if you're not, like, if you don't exercise to a certain level, you cannot be a ballet dancer. I should know. I used to do ballet and that shit was hard. <laughs> <laughs> I also used to do ballet a very, very long time ago. Yeah hard it's hard but um yeah sorry which is we went just slightly off topic there but it's just interesting just to see because i'm a marina just being like this is really why? yeah it's super what, weird what, what was the reason <laughs> what was the reason for this rig um americanism yeah. apparently 
Yeah, that's what I'm blaming it on. Because I think the fandom's idea of Percy is, uh, like, the fandom's Percy wouldn't say things like that and wouldn't make comments like that. Um, yeah. And so it's, like, frustrating when he does things like that in the books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of fandom versions of characters in this series. I'm just like, did you actually read the books? <laughs> In the, in the nicest way, did you actually read the books if you think this is the situation? But, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I know how we spiraled off from this, but, like, we spiraled from this because I was asking questions to do with other things. But, like, you are correct also that this section is where we first see, like, development of friendship between the seven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, I spiraled I us that. so far off. I did say that at one point. Yeah, and then I spiraled us. But no, it it is true. Like we have the Jason Percy thing, as dumb as it is. Mm-hmm. We have a little bit of Leo and Percy as well. Yeah. I thought it was like, kind of cute when Percy was like, Leo would like this room. Because <laughs> it's yeah. chaotic. Although also he's wrong because he like his description of the place <laughs> is like Leo would like this room because it's like a uh, it's like a machine that's waiting to fall apart. And I'm like, no, Leo would hate this. Because it's a machine that's ready to fall apart, like nothing is really working correctly. Everything's a little bit off. He would hate it because it's wrong. <laughs> like, as, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but like, I mean, that was me nitpicking. <laughs> I was like, this is a mini nitpick, but he would hate it. <laughs> um, but I do. I do like that at least Piper remembered about Hazel and Frank. That's just one thing because that's the only time they're mentioned mm-hmm. during the whole time that they're not there. <laughs> it's yep. just, oh my god, Leo, Frank, and Hazel. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they exist. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I'm glad you remember. They are also being traumatized. Yeah. God, Frank and Hazel really get the worst of it in this series. Um, I do like yeah. when Frank does reappear then and he's like, I was the weasel. <laughs> I know. That was so funny. Oh, it's so funny. He's just, he's so, he's so sweet. I love him. Um, the series may not, but I do. Yeah. Frank's an interesting one because there's just like yeah. barely anything there to latch on to, but I enjoyed him in Son of Neptune. Yeah. There really is. Rick just. Well, I think I did. I Frank. think. I could probably find an issue if I reread it, but oh, you yeah, know, I know lots of people have issues <laughs> with Frank because, like, he just he just kind of not necessarily toxic masculinity, but like the way in which he thinks about himself is it can be frustrating to grip. We don't need to work like because that doesn't happen in this section. I'll go off. <laughs> but I'll talk about it you after this. Um, where was I going? Um, but for the Nico stuff in this section, you are also writing that there is like nothing. There is nothing <laughs> for Nico in this section beyond yeah. after they've left and he's kind of just half telling them about what happened and then kind of stops because he can't speak anymore. And no one really yeah. addresses the fact that he can't speak anymore and that he's just kind of quite like he's gone through the worst thing. And like you said, no one beyond hazel asks if he's okay or just checks in yeah. on him or anything if will solace was there everyone yeah if will was there shit if he saw all these people ignoring nico are you kidding yeah oh my like, god 
this guy yeah is, will solace is a doctor he'd be like people we need to get him off this boat and get it's him a to hot therapy. dying boy and you're just <laughs> ignoring him um yeah and and i think we see that continually with nico as a character is people do not care that he's he's okay trigger warning because this is a very heavy insinuation or topic um so for self-harm but mm. Nico borderline has a death wish. Like Nico really does not care whether he survives or not through a lot of mm. the books. And I think that it's hinted at, but not explicitly talked about. And I understand why, because it's children's media. But we see it, I think, especially in the fifth book when he's like shadow traveling to the point where he might not exist. But he's like, okay with doing that. Like this is a kid who's comfortable with like giving up his existence. Um. And I think that this is a little bit similar. Like, he was trying to survive in the jar, of course, but, like, this was a kid who, who like, went wandering in the underworld by himself to try to figure out a problem because he just doesn't have that much concern for his own safety. And I find it very upsetting that these older kids don't step in and aren't, like, Nico, like, what you did was really dangerous and, like, I understand that you were trying to be brave, but you can like come ask for help. like there's none of those conversations ever with Nico until Will Will's the only per- and I think Hazel cares but doesn't feel like she has authority over Nico so I, I understand yeah, that she's it's not really on her but like yeah. Percy and Annabeth have literally been put in charge of Nico in the past and while they were also kids they're still older they still have several years on him Percy has the advantage of a good home life and I think they could like use some of that to mm. actually talk to him about I don't know and like intervene and be form some sort of mentorship because as much as Nico pushes people away it it doesn't actually take that much effort to rein him in Reina does it with a little bit of pushing Will does it with a little bit of pushing like he's waiting for somebody to to not be easily pushed away mm. and if any of them had actually tried I think they could have actually if they weren't so homophobic they could have actually because <laughs> explain to me why else they don't like Nico. <laughs> yeah, well, Percy has some reasons beyond possible homophobia. In that this, this kid has yeah, they have a comic gone out. Past. Yeah, and like <laughs> Nico, but Nico wasn't tried to- trying to kill him. He wasn't. But that he- was just in Percy's head. Well, in a few cases, somewhat. <laughs> he was responsible then, for him nearly dying multiple times. Yeah, but like, and I think the way Percy talks about Nico is very odd. And I understand that their relationship is layered and Percy probably has a level of guilt about Bianca. And like, I would love for them to have, and have at any point have had a conversation about that. But I do think it's really odd when he's like, I don't know, he's like, if the guy's even alive. And, like, Nico's a child. Like, it's just a weird way to, like, talk about the situation. Yeah, he's very blase. And, like, later he's, like, he looks like a prisoner of war, but, like, isn't concerned enough to, like, check on him. I don't know. It just is very odd to me. Because they've all gotten... Oh, sorry. (laughs) They've all gotten each other into horrible situations before. Like, him and Annabeth got stuck in that net in the first book and, like, their heads almost got cut off at a mattress fact. Like, the, the shit happens. It just feels weird that Nico's the only one, like, personally responsible for it. Even though he's also just, like, a kid in the situation. Yeah. 
yeah there's a, there was a so i think i talked about this in the in the character section for percy just to kind of move into those things here um the way in which he does talk about nico in particular i guess like for their relationship wise is really weird to me because there's this whole section where nico is free from the jar and like again he was basically like four hours away from actually being permanently dead um, yeah. And he is groaning in pain whilst he's trying to move away. And Percy is mad that he's in pain and making noise. Yeah. Like, bitch, as if this boy was not nearly dead <laughs> and you're making him move to get to safety. And then I'm mad that he's doing it. <laughs> like, I just, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> I read that scene and I did put the book down for a second because I'm like, oh, I'm going to... You may be fictional, but I'm going to punch a bitch. (laughs) No, it's so bad. And he's not the one who runs up and tries to save Nico. Piper is, which, like, queer solidarity. But also, Piper doesn't know him. Has Piper ever met Nico before? I don't think so. No, because he was like, kind of stupid at the time. She's like, small goth child, I'll go pick him up because clearly these boys won't. And, like, what? And then they were like, oh, she shot a, uh, what, is, what was it? She shot like a ham out of her cornucopia to distract the jaguars from eating Nico. And Percy was just like, oh, I hope she can handle that. What? Yeah. Like, bad mouthing Piper, bad mouthing Nico. Yeah, you may be right. P- Percy may be homophobic. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, Percy hates gay people. Hot take. <laughs> Percy is not an ally. You heard it here first. Percy is not an ally. And I have questions about Jason because he left Nico just laying there too. Nobody was like, I think that boy is like 10 years old and under fence. Should somebody get him? <laughs> yeah, and Jason would actually know Nico as well because Hazel was about oh, when he? Jason was about. Yeah. Oh, like, you're right. Nico's- Him and yeah. Nico were colleagues. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, so Piper, the only one who's never met Nico and has no idea about anything to do with him, is the one who goes to save him. I mean, technically, consistently proving she has emotional intelligence. Yes, like I guess it half makes sense because she's not exactly a sword person, but like still, (laughs) she does not. I just feel like Nico the protection. You know, like the like the best person should have gone and gotten him since it's a rescue mission. Yeah, He's a rescue mission that the they did forget. Yeah, it's and had to be convinced to go on. It's so bad. It's really bad. <laughs> it's right? just like, oh my god. Yeah, I think you were here with me for that section as well, where they were deciding yeah, about whether to was. save Nico. And yeah, I think we've had a similar conversation. It's like everyone is homophobic except for <laughs> I know the best like, Piper, Hazel, what is, and what other explanation. Because Hazel is also a, a child of, um, well, she's a child of Pluto, but like, and everybody loves her. Yeah, but so, she's not like, from the death side. She's not on the death side. Yeah, but her, like her jewelry is cursed. It's not exactly like rainbows and sunshine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just strange. Like, I get that he wears a lot of black, but he's also, like, anemic. Like, he's not that scary. <laughs> no, like, you could flick him and he'd fall over. It's just a like... small Italian boy. You could, like, <laughs> he just needs a hug. That's all he needs. Yeah, 
he's a little homo. I mean, there's not really much that mm-hmm. he can. He, he's an anemic, vampiric homo. I mean, the boy can do Yeah, nothing. like, you're literally fine. You're not going to get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> literally, blow on him and he'll float away. Like, Nico's very tough. He survives a lot. But he's not, like going out there killing people you know he's more of just a like at, like brute force will survive through situations uh yeah well not yet at least anyway but um <laughs> you remember this the poor scene boy. There we go. This poor <laughs> yeah. Boy. yeah yeah i guess he i mean nico admittedly is real comfortable with murder for his age <laughs> but he, he also yeah. just wants some friends so if you go up and you don't try to kill him you're gonna be fine yeah Oh god! I gotta say, I am to this day so mad that him and Piper don't actually have a proper conversation in this series, considering she was yeah. the one who helped rescue him. I mean, but anyway, <laughs> and she's so much more like, friendly. I want to be yeah. here when Nico murders somebody, so I can talk about it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yes, I will get you on. Uh, cool. That was a good, that was fun. Um, but. Oh yeah, so I just realized. I just see your comment. I feel like I always come on for Percy's chapters. I'm like, yes, it's because we both hate him. I enjoy his POV because he's funny, but then I always get super annoyed with him. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, how are, <laughs> Sally Jackson is your mom? Like, how do you have no manners? Exactly. <laughs> like, I know ADHD is not an excuse here. You're just being a prick. <laughs> Like, yeah, you're Robert's just a white man. Like, that's what it and is. Robert's fine. <laughs> yeah, Robert's never been homophobic. <laughs> well, <laughs> but it's fine because yeah, they it's they're like allowed. In- yeah, they're allowed. <laughs> they get a yeah. free pass. It's not. <laughs> no, Percy's not. Uh, Percy has not been given um, <laughs> the quick the pass. Of, like you're, yeah. yeah. It's like how, like, we Percy does not have a pass <laughs> because he is not engaged with the community, so he is not allowed to pass. And admittedly, the passes are very like there are specifics <laughs> to the pass that he yeah, you can understand. actually be homophobic, <laughs> yeah, you can make jokes, but only about the specific person you know, not about the community. <laughs> also, no slurs, <laughs> yeah. Oh God, Percy! Not that yeah. Percy says more, but you—you were. You, you know, no, Leo do. would. Yeah, no, Leo. Leo has such bad vibes. Yeah, Leo. 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 Oh God! Oh my God! Leo reminds me of this guy that I knew from my school, <laughs> who used to refer to me with a slur, like, and he was oh like my this. God. Yeah, I just let it pass because I'm like. I need to survive school but like yeah sure. it was like a whole thing um yeah <laughs> the guy so interestingly enough the guy is cool now like we're, we're cool we're on a good terms now um he was going through some shit obviously not an excuse yeah. but like he's learned a lot from it and did apologize many years that later, happened which I do really kid. appreciate yeah um but yeah he apologized later on so we're cool now um but yeah I'm not gonna say it on here but I'll tell you about it afterwards because it's like Looking back at it now, I'm like, it's kind of funny, but also hate crime. <laughs> like, it's it would funny. be a good joke if you weren't the one making it. <laughs> yeah. If I'd given you the pass. If you, you were gay, it would have been hilarious. <laughs> yes. 
Because I, I did actually end up starting using it myself later on because I did think it was so funny. <laughs> but I earned it because I was one. I love how I came on this podcast episode and now we're talking about you getting hate crimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what Nico's going through right now, so it feels pretty apt. Yeah, it's like it's like neglect-based hate crime. Yeah, and the only ones who are actually helping are his sibling and the queer solidarity. Yeah, the only other queer person on the ship. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I was, like, helping Nico up, and she's like, can I ask you a question? <laughs> what, what, why am I feeling like a connection of a sort? <laughs> like, Yeah. She's like, have you ever taken any BuzzFeed quizzes that gave you, like, concerning <laughs> results? How accurate do you think that is? Have you met Dorothy? Um. Yeah. (laughs) You listen to Girl in Red? (laughs) Nico's like, I'm literally dead. Like, I can't have this conversation right now. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) Let's just talk a little bit more about Nico, actually, though. Because, like, this guy has been been through it. Like... (laughs) He's just, he's seen some horrific things. Things that, by the I way, know. we never have gotten an explanation for. Like, we never actually know. What it's coming. It's coming. But I'm mean, slightly annoyed that it didn't happen sooner. Yeah. I do hope we should happen sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I, I, technically, I, he had it. Sorry. Just so, like for the Blood of Olympus stuff. Yeah. He had nearly the same length of chapters, same amount of chapters as Frank in Heroes of Olympus. And yet... <laughs> I know that's so sad, isn't it? <laughs> like, poor Frank. He's a member he's of the only seven. One book. Yeah, yeah. yeah Nico didn't even make the club. I oh god. And then Frank, who's in the club, doesn't like barely qualifies. Frank <laughs> just takes the minutes. He, he really does. Yeah, he gets the participation prize, but that's about it. <laughs> um, but he wears it like a badge of honor, and I respect him for it. He does. He's proud it. of it. Yeah, um, but to that point, like, we have an entire book where we do get his POV, and it's never really, like, it, that would have been a really interesting moment for him to address, because he's basically having therapy with Raina as they go along. Right. Now, that would have been a perfect moment to address it, and then obviously with the book that we do have coming out soon, just dives into it a little bit more, so just some references, but, like, it's basically not talked about. No, it's not. Everybody really forgets that he goes to Tartarus. Yeah. And it's such then a it's... focus for Percy and Annabeth. Yeah. But like they were there together. They were fine. Nico was alone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's like, a child. Younger. Yeah. There's a lot to that. Yeah. I just homophobe, yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah. bitch. Yeah. Yeah. As I was reading, I was like, this is this situation is kind of Nico's nightmare. Cause like he wakes up and he's surrounded by people he's completely vulnerable and <laughs> percy's there like he's probably like fuck i can't like shadow travel back to the underworld yeah like i'm stuck with these people and like leo talks a lot and like frank is insecure so i have to assure him when we have conversations and i'm not emotionally equipped for that and like he's dating my sister and like percy is like 10 feet away from me and i've been like trying to stay on a different plane of existence than him I do not remember that Frank Assurance thing. So, like, the moment he said that, I was like, wait, that happened? No. 
Oh, do you just mean like, just, just in general? Like, yeah, I just feel like having a conversation with Frank would be a lot of like, no, no, it's okay. Like, you didn't offend me yesterday. Like, it's totally cool. That was like your piece of pizza. It's totally fine. Oh. And I don't okay, feel like yeah, Nico yeah. would handle that well. Like, I feel like there's a lot of personality clash on this ship for Nico. Yeah, definitely. And he just like doesn't like socializing. He does not yeah. enjoy it. I think, interestingly enough, the only one that would make sense to have to be in communication with Nico is Hazel and Piper. And, like, Piper, yeah. there is no interaction between Piper and Nico in this series. Other than her saving his life. Yeah. Which we don't get but, any attention put on. No. Beyond the moment when she gets injured. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the only time we kind of get some reference to her, like, getting him out of the way and then she gets hit with something. And yeah, then... Chrissy's like, oh, her shoulder looks weird and then nothing else. Yeah. I, I have a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do agree with you, though, that there is not enough conversation about the fact, in the books, especially, that Nico went through Tartarus alone. Because the thing that gets me is, like, no one says to him, like, when Percy and Annabeth come back and they look haunted, like, no one discusses, like, wow. They look like that, and they're some of the strongest people we know. And yeah. Nico went through it completely alone. Like, there's no kind of like discussion, comparison stuff that goes on with that. Yeah, there's no like Chiron putting Nico in mandatory therapy or something. No, it's Dionysus who does that, which is interesting. Oh yeah, they like bond. I forget that that happens. Yeah, it kind of happens like it's like an off trials conversation in the last book i think of charles of apollo yeah interesting yeah i quite like it because it makes sense dionysus being a therapist yeah. makes sense he, it definitely I, does his bedside manner will be shit but like it would make sense nico would love that yeah nico i think would love it <laughs> anyone else maybe not <laughs> yeah right yeah he probably like further traumatizes people but it's like right up nico's alley <laughs> But, yeah, I don't know, it's just, okay, yeah. I don't really know what else to say, because it's just, like, Nico's it's just, just not sad. Right. <laughs> it's just sad, yeah. I know. I hope that in his book, he's not just, and I think it'll be okay, because I, I quite like Nico's depiction in Trials of Apollo. It's the reason mm. I read oh, yeah. Trials of Apollo, And I think that there's a real concern that it would just be like, he's so emo and like sad and depressed. But with Will and it being slightly after all the trauma, like he's had a little bit of time to recover. He's been a happy camp kid for a while and Mm. actually like made friends and stuff. I think it'll be really nice to read a book with him and like get him to reflect on what happened in the past and like see him as a character, not just like this tragic figure that never gets any real attention. Yeah, and like we also, do, I believe Mark, um, who's uh, one of the authors for uh, The Son of the Star, Mark Shiro, um, mentioned that Will is getting POV chapters as well. I believe that's what they've said. So Sunshine I would quite like boy. to hear, yeah, Sunshine Boy, to uh, to hear his thoughts and like what he thinks about in terms of like Nico's recovery, Nico's reactions to these things. So like, because like a lot of what Nico is probably going to be thinking internally, as we've seen in the later book. <laughs> 
is um, not accurate to reality. <laughs> no, no. So he's, he's probably going to be talking about things. I'm like, you know, it's all it's all good. I feel a bit sad, but it's fine. And then you get Will. He's like, this boy is depressed as fuck, but he won't even admit it. <laughs> yeah. I would love to hear, because, like, <clears throat> this is something that fan fiction brings up sometimes, is that Will's brother was killed in the Battle of Manhattan. Um, And I would like some attention on Will and some time for him to, like, talk about his experiences as a demigod, because, like, he actually knows his dad and, like, helped his dad through all of this traumatic stuff, and that happened to his brother. Uh, and so, like, Nick or, and Will has, like, watched kids die and, like, been a doctor since he was a child. So I think his POVs will be really interesting, too. Well, yeah, I think, isn't it Michael Yu? Michael Yu's the Apollo kid. He was the original Apollo camper. Like, he was the le- head camper. The... That di- Is that the one that passed away? Yeah, Michael Yu on, on the bridge. Okay. Yeah. He, yeah. I, I think it's Michael Yu because he's the one yeah. that, like, Percy sees him like he's on the bridge with right. Percy and then he fires a shot and then he just doesn't appear again I think it was my yeah movie. yeah so that would right. make sense because like I know technically not like I guess like a full sibling but like yeah that the was Apollo when kids be- seem close though yeah they do especially from what we saw in Charles of Apollo so like right that's it's when like Will became group yeah right. um, especially after the war because quite a lot of them died the apollo kids and the full-time um, campers seemed really close because they're yeah um because it was during it was michael Yu's death that led to will becoming the head counselor right yeah and like he was quite young for that yeah yeah, yeah yeah so i don't know i'm excited i love him. yeah I'd be, so i'm great. looking forward to it either way but um going into Death and fight scenes. <laughs> Going to what we're talking about today. <laughs> <laughs> um, the fight scenes action for this. So I will say the, f- as much as I hated the fact that Bacchus ruined everything, the fight scene <laughs> of Percy and Jason coming together was pretty well written, and I did actually really quite enjoy it. I'm not a huge fight scene person. It's not like the most exciting mm. thing to me, but I do enjoy the banter that goes along with it. And Percy <laughs> is very funny, if nothing else. <laughs> valid, valid. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's the one thing I, I do enjoy that about the fight scenes in in um, Neuron versus that they're never boring. I think it's the way Mm-mm. to show both with how they're presented, but also with the dialogue that goes with it. Um, I just like the moment of because, like, what you're talking about, like, we're seeing like the seven kind of almost become a bit more of a unit in that. Yeah. Percy and Jason. Yeah, when the ship work. comes in, is pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, this is also the first time that Percy and Jason have decided to work together. Like that whole thing of when they made that tornado thing together, they kind of didn't think to do it. They were just told to, and then they worked together in that moment. This is the first time they've decided to properly work together. Yeah. Um, so I kind of appreciate that level of it because it's the first time that like members of the seven to a degree are kind of actually actively working together <laughs> and doing well. <laughs> yeah, doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Like I know we had the section before of like Frank, Hazel and Leo. Um not that I actually remember what was in it. <laughs> but um I, people will know from the previous episode because that's what happened before this section um <laughs> but yeah i just like i just like that we are seeing this to run but it is basically exactly what you were saying earlier of it's only happening 
so the devastation of what happens at the end of the book feels more raw. I feel like anime does this really intensely where you'll be like a character will be about to die so you will get a like 15 minute montage of every important moment from the series leading up to that and then you'll be like properly devastated when they die and that's what I felt like was happening was everybody was like hey actually we are a family and like you're so cool and like I'm so happy we're in this together and then like bam their their leaders like fall into Tartarus (laughs) yeah and like I think it could have worked if it wasn't literally in the last minute basically (laughs) because yeah the chapter before yeah We've got less than 100 pages before that happened and they've only just now started properly working together. (laughs) But then have been calling themselves friends from the start of the fucking book. Yeah, and, like, they're definitely, like, Piper and Annabeth are friends. Yeah. Are they friends yet? So they said that they were friends because they'd been hanging out, but, like, that happens off screen, so honestly, I don't count it. If we aren't seeing it, I don't believe it. Yeah, and, like, supposedly Piper and Leo are best friends. Yeah, which, again, no. (laughs) They should be, because they they were actually friends. Jason is just an implanted memory. Mm -hmm. But, no, they just revolve around Jason instead. They barely Yeah, somehow he's still in the middle of that. Yeah, it's just that that implanted memory thing just really fucked up that whole dynamic. (laughs) The worst compat. Yeah. Well, not even that. Because, like, I wouldn't have had an issue if it developed in the first place. But it's the implanted memories to make a relationship and friendship. Like, it's the combination yeah. of the two. Because that was just stupid. Because um, then it just messed up any possibility of Piper and Leo just actually being friends. <laughs> because they focus so much more on Jason. <laughs> yeah. The white men are at it again. Um, but <laughs> every time. Every time. Every time. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. But, um, yeah, I do. I I just quite like the scene. The, literally, the only issues that I do have with the fight with the giants is the fact that there, there's no trio moments because Piper is not actively involved in the fight, which would yeah. have been cool. And again, I have mm-hmm. this whole complaint of like, what? She was at Camp Half Blood since December. They didn't fly out to Camp Jupiter until June. Why was she not training within those six months? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's really sexist <laughs> and like, play, like super misogynistic that they're like, she has this cornucopia that we're going to make a little joke about and then she's going to get taken out of the fight. Yeah. And then she. Because it's in the next book as well that she learns to fight. I'm like, I know we should have had that so much earlier. We should have had that in the Lost Hero when we were developing yeah. all three of them. Yeah, and just have it be that she's actually been training to fight in the six months. Like she knew she was going on a quest. The whole camp knew she was going on a quest. Why was she yeah. not forced into training? And sword fighting, we know, is mandatory. So I don't. Yeah. Like- I don't understand. Percy had a sword put in his hands like the second day he was there. Yeah. And she ended up being quite good at it. Yeah, exactly. And like, I know she has the dagger, which like foretells things, but Annabeth fights with the dagger. Why can't she Uh fight with that dagger? Like it may be a seeing glass thing, but use it to fight as well. And I don't like that. 
I don't know. It bothers me that she's ever given that dagger because it's just because she's being compared to Helen of Troy. And I feel like it's just this this one dimension of her being like the pretty girl when, I don't know, that frustrates me. Because like like Aphrodite's domain and Piper's powers don't have anything to do about like telling the future or dreams or anything. Like she's, it doesn't really make sense for her to have that dagger the connection is Helen of Troy and like beauty, which is such a shallow way to get a weapon. Yeah. Because what was it? Like Helen's whole thing is like, she's known as the woman that launched a, f- a thousand ships or something like that. Right. And she's Zeus's daughter. That's why she's like, oh, so beautiful. I actually did not know that. Yeah. So she's Zeus's daughter and um, Paris steals her. And then that's what starts the Trojan war. Um, ah. Cause they go to, get her back her husband Menelaus is the king of Sparta and they all of Mm. Greece has to fight to get her back um but like that has nothing to do with I mean Aphrodite is involved admittedly because it's about romance but not like I don't know the fortune telling powers and stuff doesn't make sense for Aphrodite and isn't connected to her yeah it's just there for plot convenience yeah but and also then to freak Piper out when she initially gets the knife because like it's showing her things that she's like oh my god how does it know sort of thing yeah but yeah why didn't she learn to fight why doesn't she have a sword why doesn't she use her dagger as her weapon because Anna why does she does. learn in like the last book yeah well i think it's house of hades but maybe she learns in, i think she learns in house of hades because like four like fifths of the of, way through yeah four yeah, fifths I think you're of right. the way through because like, she's like that that whole thing of like they fell through so now i've got to learn because i've got to like i've got to pull my weight sh- that's it that's the phrase <laughs> i forgot what the phrase <laughs> was <laughs> that's what i was like what is it what's it, what's it? <laughs> i just saw you kind of like moving around <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was just struggling it's like, i can't think of the word <laughs> but um yeah but like the whole thing i'm just like and she hasn't a section earlier which like i did commend originally <laughs> of her being like so it was um god i don't know how many episodes it'll be when this comes out um but she has this whole section of like she feels so useless and helpless plus because she can't help or do anything i think it's to do with the hercules thing mm-hmm. um I, I don't sounds think very familiar but um and like i appreciated her being like i like she's frustrated that she do- like she doesn't see her worth and she thinks that she's not helpful or anything like that and then it has moments of showing her worth because she's the one who solves the hercules issue with like the river god and stuff not that yeah. it's ever actually presented that way but whatever but <laughs> But, like, you'd have thought after that moment she'd maybe have asked to kind of get some teaching. Because, like, she's on, she's got a dagger. Annabeth has a dagger. Work together? They're supposedly best friends. Exactly. They're and they're supposedly, supposedly hanging out all the time. And you know Annabeth is constantly training. So it would make perfect sense, even if Piper hadn't asked, for Annabeth to be like, okay, 6 a.m., like, let's get up and start doing laps around the ship. Like, I'm sure Annabeth does shit like that. So it makes sense that she would, like, include other kids in it. Exactly. And also, considering Piper's whole thing is bad-mouthing being an Aphrodite kid, you'd think she'd be training more. Yeah, she'd, like, actively be fighting that stereotype. But instead, she's like, oh, my God, like, I wish I had something other than this dagger and cornucopia. But what am I to do? It's not like I have uh, six roommates who are trained to fight or anything. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even mind when Piper has the role of diplomat. I think that's really interesting. I yeah. admittedly think Annabeth, just in terms of godly parent, 
kind of makes the most sense, like, with the whole, like, treaty thing. But mm. Annabeth has the charm speak. Or, I'm sorry, Piper has, Piper has the charm speak. So I don't really mind when she's, like, leans into her emotional intelligence or when she leans into being diplomatic. Mm. But then don't put her in fight scenes just to have her be useless. Like, actually yeah. make a place for that. Yeah. I don't know. There was so much potential with Piper. And, like, this is just another example of a scene where there was potential because she's the one who's saving Nico. She's the one who actually actively, in a sense, put herself in danger to get him to safety. Yeah. And yeah. then does help out, is kind of mocked for it, and then gets injured and is immediately out of the running. If Piper was going to be the one to save Nico, then why didn't we save Nico and Piper's point of view? Exactly. I mean, there are loads of things that happen where I'm just like, this should not have been in this person's point of view. AKA Nico's coming out scene. Um, yeah, I will forever I will... be so upset about that. Literally. Oh, the rage. And also... <laughs> Why was Jason even there? Why was Jason there? It should have been Hazel on the ship. Or oh, Hazel. I was going to say, it should have been Hazel. Hazel would make so much more sense. But I'm having you come on for that episode, so we'll, we'll save that for then. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's just like Rick's writing of the girls in Heroes of Olympus actually just actively annoys me. Um, and this is just another example. Um, yeah, that's why we used Rick as not like the worst example, but just like a modern interpretation that needs work. When we talked about Greek myths on our podcast, and we critiqued it so hard. <laughs> Yeah, and like he does some things right and some things wrong, but he loves and he learns and grows, and that's fantastic. But I think yeah. it's still worth pointing out because this is like kids' media, you oh, know, yeah, like yeah. kids are learning things from reading the book, so we have to talk about what was done poorly. Yeah, and like we're just looking at like his res- like the response that he did to like the racism that Leah was getting for being casted as Annabeth. His response to that shows the level of growth he's had. Ten out of ten. Like, people should be learning from the way that he responded to that. So, like, clearly he has good... And I think, too, people get very upset when you talk about the media that they like in a negative way. But I only critique things I care about. Exactly. If I didn't care about, I wouldn't put all this effort into talking about it. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, like... Rick did used to be... I remember that whole thing a couple of years ago. I think it was before the pan. Yeah, before the pandemic. So back in 2019, I think, actually. Um, no, wait, not no, during the pandemic in 2020, <laughs> maybe it was before, I don't actually remember, it may have been 2019, you know when he did those blog posts in response to like people calling him out for his like racist presentation of Piper and I think that was Samira. before I even read the books, I read the books <laughs> during the pandemic, ah, I was like 19 okay. when I read the books. Okay, so yeah, that may have been um, before you read them then. But yeah, so he did some blog posts. I think it was either 2019 or 2020. I don't actually remember. Um, and he was very defensive. It was, I think, I believe it ended up being the reason why he did actually come off social media because he got a lot of hate for those posts um, because he was very defensive within mm. them of like justifying like why he had the feather and Piper's hair and, and a few things like that because it came off quite defensive. But like... Looking at those, and I don't even think they're up on the blog anymore, but yeah. from that to this response to like to Leah and stuff like that, like there is so much growth that's happened there. And like you just love to see, you just love to see people grow. Like it's like he almost recognized, like, oh, why? Oh, okay. 
clearly gone about that the wrong way I'm going to take some time off from social media I'm not going to run my social yeah. media anymore and from the looks of it he took that time to be like hey okay this is what people are saying I'm going to learn from this I'm going to educate myself and do things the correct way um and this blog post to do with Leo has kind of showed that I don't know where, yeah. where I was going with this but like in relation to what we were just talking about but um yeah it was just nice to see him grow from that to a degree yeah it's really it's hard when the people who shape your childhood turn out to be really disappointing and Rick is sort of the exception to that and so yeah. it, I think that's why so many of us are still so invested in his media because I mean I grew up obsessed with Harry Potter it was like my neurodivergent special interest for you know a decade and a half and then (laughs) J.K. Rowling turned out to be the worst human being currently occupying the planet and so like that really sucked and like personally hates me and like my identities like that was not super fun um and so like for Rick to like make mistakes but actively try to learn and grow and like I read Daughter of the Deep uh his newest book and the leaps and bounds between Eva and Tower of Nero and that is, like, wild. Like, this man has definitely been educating himself. Yeah, and the fact that even, like, getting a co-author who is someone who is non-binary, is queer, and bringing them on to be a co-author for a story about a two queer characters, I mean, says a lot. And Like, even for Dawson yeah. Deep, he had multiple sensitivity readers. Yeah. Who he like put in his acknowledgments, I believe. Um Yep. And what a way to like lift up marginalized authors too. And like yeah. um his his imprint with Disney definitely does that constantly. Rick Ryan. Oh yeah. Rick, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, yeah it's great to see his growth. <laughs> I think yeah. that, I don't remember when that started, but I don't remember if that started bef- mm, I think it was actually before those posts. But like even like, I think it was two because that's been around for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just seeing his growth and like in comparison to like the the like the female characters in Heroes of Olympus to the characters in Daughter of the Deep and like even in Trials of Apollo, their presentation. Piper's so character in Trials of Apollo so much better. Even ten Jason's out of ten. presentation. Like, I liked Jason in Trials of Apollo. I yeah. did, and then he killed him. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like, I would have cared ten pages ago. Literally. There's foreshadowing in this section. So, yeah. Piper gets injured. Jason calls out for her and goes to run to her. And then one of the giants is about to throw a spear at his spine. Where is he stabbed? In the burning maze? Through his back with a spear. I don't know if it was intentional, but it wouldn't surprise me if Rick went through read that scene and went wouldn't it be interesting (laughs) next time it's gonna land (laughs) yep and like the only reason why he doesn't get you know stabbed in this one is because percy calls out to him whereas in this case no one saw it coming well in the burning maze case no one saw it coming right it was so unexpected um this is kind of a tangent but are percy and jason the only ones named after traditional grecian heroes um I actually don't know. Um, Greek hero. I'm just looking it up now. Um, oh, no, so there's Leopold Bloom, who is a fictional character from uh, the Odysseus story. Oh, cool. And, and Ulysses. Um, wait, no. 
that's wrong. <laughs> Hold on, let me read this further. Um, oh no, this is this is something else. Maybe it's not. Uh, it was talking. It was talking to do with um, James Joyce, but like obviously that's not ancient Greece, so that's probably not right. Uh, da, da, da. So something. Yeah, there's only a Leopold in Ulysses. They're just like um, in the only instantly recognizable names to me, yeah. at least. I'm just looking up their names to see. <laughs> the only Piper in relation to Greek mythology is Piper McLean. <laughs> uh, Hazel, Greek mythology. Um, there's a Hazel tree. <laughs> Like a literal tree. Like a literal tree, which is what Hermes' staff is made of. It's from a hazel tree. So Okay. Maybe. Interesting. Um, um Annabeth Greek mythology. <laughs> um no, only Annabeth Chase. There's got not gonna be a Frank in Greek mythology. I don't um, think there is, no. Greek mythology. Um, so there's Leopold the First, who was a Holy Roman Emperor. I wonder if Leo is named after him or not. Um, is it is Leo a Leopold or? I don't think so. Oh. I I don't know that we know of. I think he's ever just Leo, Leo. Valdez. Full name. <laughs> oh, he's Leonidas. Fucking hell. Uh, he's what now? He's Leonidas. Oh, who was a Greek war leader. Oh, okay. So his name is a reference. I was just curious. Yeah. Leonidas I was a king of the Greek city-state of Sparta. Leonidas, king of Sparta. That does mm. not make sense for his name. Yeah, I was going to say, Leo's not exactly like screaming Sparta, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, if anyone was going to represent Sparta with that name, it would be Frank. Yeah. Son of Mars? Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah, oh, maybe Rick is trying to do that whole thing of like, oh no, because then that doesn't work. Because I was about to say, or oh, was Jason the son of Poseidon? But no, he's also a son of Zeus. Yeah, yeah, I think Jason is a son of Zeus. And then obviously Perseus is son of Zeus as well. They're not really any famous, like, son of other gods. <laughs> it's those sons of Zeus who were, like, the big heroes. Yeah. Or or they're not demigods and they're just heroes for other reasons. I mean, Achilles is the son of Phoenix, but the whole thing with him is that, like, he would have surpassed his father. Yeah. And then, yeah, I just double-checked Frank saying, but no. <laughs> there is no... Um, no Frank. No Frank. No Frank. No Frank. Um, yeah, so the only one that seemed to actually have a name connected to Greek mythology is Leo because he's a Leonidas. Interesting. Um, yeah, it would have been cool if the others had been names related to, but. Yeah, they were like little Easter eggs. Yeah. Um, but, oh well. <laughs> <coughs> oh god, I inhaled air. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I think that's kind of all we've got to say. Was there anything else you kind of wanted to add or do you think you covered everything? I 
think I've expressed all my opinions. I got to call Percy homophobic, so I'm good. <laughs> and then when we debated him, we're like, yeah, he's pretty pretty sure he's <laughs> We can't come up with another reason. That's the only reason that makes sense. <laughs> Both Leo and Percy seemingly are the homophobic ones. Jason's not not, not like perfect. Jason's but, like, just the least... most neutral human who has no opinions <laughs> about anything. Yeah, except for how things are run in New Rome. Like that's the only thing that's you can true. tell an opinion on. That and like um how to appease the gods to kind of get them to help out a little bit. And whether he's taller than Percy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, so that's we are all done. Very cool. So I guess going into this week's question of the episode. Um, I want to know, what did you all think of the mission to rescue Nico? Do you also think it was shit? (laughs) 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 Because nothing happened with it beyond Piper doing the most. (laughs) And not getting the credit. Literally. Literally no credit at all for our girl Piper. (sighs) That's just how it be. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh god, I keep (coughs) choking on air. Um, oh god um, <laughs> Megan uh, tell everyone where people can find you sure um, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts Anchor and I'm missing one. Oh, Google Podcasts and that's the Monstrous Woman Podcast you will see a picture of Medusa and we have quite a few episodes and we're about to enter a very long series that's going to take us most of 2023 so come come listen to us talk about superheroes we're covering dc marvel and independent comics um and it's a lot of fun and then also i'm writing a novella about the greek poet sappho and it's an adventure romance so if you're interested in that and keeping up with that you can follow me on my instagram it's at ml peterson writes very cool and as always all that stuff will be in the episode show notes be sure to check that out and support megan with their future writing career and their podcast because they're all very very cool um and i'm very excited to uh beta read the sapphire story because <laughs> it's gonna be and friends cool. on a bunch of episodes of our podcast if you want to listen yes oh yes that too yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like probably i think like six or something so there's probably- something like that yeah <laughs> But um, yeah, that is all for this week's episode, everyone. Thank you all for joining us for this week's section of Martha Wafina. Be sure to join me next Wednesday as we continue our own verse journey. And remember, support me on Patreon and buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> to plug where you can find our podcast, we are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audio Boom, Stitcher, and basically wherever you listen to your podcasts. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find The Best Damn Camp on various social media at Best Damn Camp Pod on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to email me with your thoughts on the episode, you can email thebestdamncamp at hotmail.com or if you want to support the podcast, you can head over to the Patreon page at patreon.com slash a healthy dose of Fran, which is linked in the episode show notes for things like early access to episodes and other exclusive perks. Want more Royal Universe content? Check me out on YouTube at a healthy dose of Fran. And if you want to support my writing career, drop me a follow at a dose of Fran on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Again, thank you all for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own hunter, and I'll see, shall I speak to you all next time. Bye.